Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. Today on Ring of Truth with Pastor Dan Sexton. You may think, Lord, you could never use me. I have nothing to offer. I don't have the skills. I don't have the talent. I don't have the knowledge for the Lord to use me. I'm not equipped for any kind of Christian service. I'm not equipped for what he's called me to do. Well, you're right. You're not equipped. No one is. Bring what little bit you have to Jesus. Put it in his hands. Lord, I don't have much, just a few pieces of fish, a few pieces of bread, but here you go. And then Jesus blesses it, multiplies it, and then he gives it back to you. And then you give what you receive from Jesus to others. Have you ever felt like you're not equipped to do what God has called on your life? Well, you aren't. Today, Pastor Dan is going to remind you that Jesus is the one who equips you to do ministry. Everybody wants to sin by nature, and nobody wants to follow God. You have to choose to follow Him. You're going to feel like you aren't worthy of His love, but you are. God doesn't ask for a lot. He just wants a little bit of faith. He can take your little bit of faith and multiply it like you couldn't imagine. Now here's Pastor Dan in the book of Matthew chapter 14 for today's edition of Ring of Truth. The disciples realized that the key to Jesus' power and his ability was his prayer life. If Jesus often got alone with the Father to pray, how much more do we need to spend time alone with the Father in prayer? Look at verse 13 again. Jesus tried to get alone with the Father, but the multitudes followed him on foot. The Sea of Galilee, as you know, is small. The crowds could see Jesus from shore. They could see where he was sailing to. And so they just walked around on land to that location from Capernaum over to where Jesus sailed to. It was only about four miles by foot. And so the crowd just followed him on foot. In fact, as you read this, the crowds, the crowds were waiting for him when he made it to shore. Look what it says. When Jesus got out of the boat, he saw a great multitude. And he said to the multitude, can a guy just have a few hours alone? Don't you have some other place you can go? He he didn't say to the crowd, hey, this is me time. Or I'm on vacation. Or I'm taking a personal day. Come back tomorrow. Jesus came to serve people. Came to serve people. And, And we see here, he put the needs of others above his own needs. Something we should all do as disciples. Even though he's grieving, even though he wanted to be alone with the Father, he saw the multitude of people, and it says he was moved with compassion for them. Mark's Gospel says because they were like sheep without a shepherd, and he healed their sick. He ministered to them. Even though he had his own needs, and he's just trying to get alone to grieve and pray, 
he ministered to others while grieving. It's a good, a good example for us. When you're grieving, minister to others. And a lot of times I think when we're grieving, we, we think I need to take a break. I need to take some time away. I need to work on myself. Minister to others. Verse 15 says, now when it was evening, his disciples came to him saying, this is a deserted place. And the hour is already late. You got to love the disciples. What would Jesus do without those disciples? How else would Jesus know that it was a deserted place and the hour was already late? If it weren't for the disciples telling him that. Jesus couldn't figure that out on his own. And so look what they say next. The disciples encouraged Jesus to send the crowds away so they can buy food in the surrounding villages. Now look at verse 16. But Jesus said to them, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. You see what Jesus did right there? He just commanded his disciples to do something that was impossible for them to do. They can't feed such a large crowd. It's impossible for them. Now, John's gospel tells us that Jesus turned to Philip in particular. And he asked Philip where they can buy bread for all these people. Now, why does he ask Philip? Philip was from the village of Bethsaida. And they're near the village of Bethsaida. And Bethsaida was famous in that region for its bread. And so Jesus says to Philip, hey, Philip, you're from around here. Where can we buy bread for all these people? You know what Philip did? Philip got his calculator out and he started making all the calculations and said, even if we had 200 denarii, 200 days wages, you know, a year's salary, we couldn't feed all these people. There would not be enough bread to feed all these people. Lord, it's impossible. Lord, I've run the numbers. Here's my spreadsheet. I've put together a PowerPoint for the group so that I can show you how there's no way we can feed all these people. Send them away. Now, here's the thing. Listen, give me your attention. God, you know this if you've walked with the Lord for more than five minutes. God will often call us to do what is impossible for us apart from him. He's constantly doing that. He will command us to do something that we don't have the ability to do or the skills to do or the resources to do, where it's not even close. We're woefully inadequate and unable and ill-equipped. And the disciples, to their credit here, they try to come up with a solution. Look at verse 17. Verse 17, and they said to him, well, we have only five loaves and two fish. They surveyed the crowd and they came up with five loaves and two fish, which is not even going to put a dent in the need here. And so verse 18, he said, bring them here to me. Then Jesus commanded the multitudes to sit down on the grass. Note that on the grass. The picture here is of a shepherd feeding a sheep on the green grass. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. Jesus Christ, the good shepherd. He has them sit down in the green grass. Now, he had, the other Gospels tell us that he told the disciples to have everyone sit down in groups of 100 and in groups of 50. Everything Jesus does is done decently and in order. It's not chaotic. It's not pandemonium like Walmart on Black Friday. People aren't pushing and shoving here. It's decently and in order. That's how he always works. 
And then he commanded the multitudes to sit down on the grass, and he took the five loaves and the two fish, looking up to heaven. He blessed and broke and gave the loaves to the disciples, and the disciples gave to the multitudes. Now, this is a wonderful description of Christian ministry. This is how Christian ministry works or how it should work. First of all, you're inadequate. You're ill-equipped for what God has called you to do, and that's okay. You bring what little you have to Jesus and you put it in his hands. You may think, Lord, you could never use me. I have nothing to offer. I don't have the skills. I don't have the talent. I don't have the knowledge for the Lord to use me. I'm not equipped for any kind of Christian service. I'm not equipped for what he's called me to do. Well, you're right. You're not equipped. No one is. Bring what little bit you have to Jesus. Put it in his hands. Lord, I don't have much, just a few pieces of fish, a few pieces of bread, but here you go. And then Jesus blesses it, multiplies it, and then he gives it back to you. And then you give what you receive from Jesus to others. Notice Jesus gave to the disciples and then the disciples gave what they received from Jesus to the multitudes. We just deliver to others what we ourselves have received from Jesus. That's how it works. That's how it works. The mind that we often have is, I I need to get the skills. I need to skill up. I need to learn. You know, just whatever you have, take it to Jesus and put it in his hands and let him multiply it. And then whatever he gives you, you just give to others. Look at verse 20. And so they all ate and were filled and they took up 12 baskets full of fragments that remained. Now, that word filled there, if you're taking notes, it means to be glutted. You know how you feel after you eat a big meal and you're so stuffed you could not eat another bite. That's how everybody in the crowd felt that day. And the disciples took up 12 baskets of leftovers. And here the word for baskets is speaking of a small basket that you would carry with you on your person like a lunchbox. So the 12 disciples were busy ministering to others and feeding others. They didn't have time to eat themselves, but Jesus provides, you know, a to-go dinner for them and a little lunchbox. After all the ministering was finished, now they have something to eat. The 12 baskets here, it speaks of the 12 tribes of Israel. Through this miracle, Jesus is demonstrating that he is the bread of life for the Jewish people. What about the Gentiles? Well, there's another feeding in chapter 15. You'll have to come back for that one. John's gospel tells us that right after Jesus performed this miracle, he gave his teaching on being the bread of life. And so they go together. In John chapter 6, verse 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger. And he who believes in me shall never thirst. Isn't that true? Amen is right. Jesus is the bread of life. He fills and satisfies the souls of those who come to him by faith and put their faith in him. We're satisfied by Jesus. My heart is not hungering for something else or something more or something different. I'm satisfied in him. I'm filled by him. We're created. Listen, we're created to find our satisfaction and fulfillment in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Everything else will leave you empty. Everything else will leave you wanting for something more to leave you hungry. Only Jesus is the bread of life. Only he satisfies and fulfills. So now verse 21 says, Now those who had eaten were about 5,000 men besides women and children. So the crowd could have been as large as fifteen or 20,000 people if you include women and children. 
Now, again, if you're taking notes, John, John's account of this tells us that this is right before Passover. And the crowd that was there said, this is the prophet spoken of by Moses. And they tried to take Jesus by force and make him their king. And so what does Jesus do? In verse 22, he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Now he finally gets the opportunity to pray. Pastor Dan will share the second half of today's message in just a moment. But first, he'd like to take a moment to tell you how you can receive prayer for your needs. Do you need prayer today? Every week we receive prayer requests from our listeners. If you need prayer for anything at all, we would like to pray for you right now. You can share your prayer request with us through our website, calvaryec.com. Again, that's calvaryec.com or through our church app or by calling us at 410-491-4592. And can I ask you to pray for us as well? Pray for the Ring of Truth radio ministry as we bring the Word of God to those who need it. Thanks, Pastor Dan, and thank you for praying. Now, let's finish today's message. Now, when evening came, he was alone there, but the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves for the wind was contrary. The disciples once again found themselves caught in a windstorm on the Sea of Galilee. We saw this in an earlier chapter, but this time Jesus was not with them in the boat. They're kind of on their own. It was like, you know, storm 101, storm 201 now. They're, they're up to the next level here. Now they're in a storm without Jesus in the boat, but Jesus could see them from the mountaintop where he is. It says they were in the middle of the sea. So they're about three or four miles from shore. It's nighttime. It's dark. They're stuck in the middle. The wind is blowing against them. And remember, Jesus sent them on this boat. He put them in this situation, knowing they would sail into a storm, knowing also that he would come to them in the middle of the storm. He knows the storms that will come into your life. And he knows how he's going to minister to you in that storm. And so verse 25, now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. Now, the fourth watch of the night was between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. Jesus sent these disciples into the boat right after dinner the night before. Now it's the next morning. And so the disciples have been toiling in this storm all night and making no headway at all. Psalm 30 says, weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. And Jesus went to them. It says, walking on the sea, Jesus walks above the storm. He's above the storms that come into your life. Here, here we are in the storm. We're toiling, we're rowing, we're trying to do everything we can to keep from drowning. Jesus is above the storm. He walks over top the storm. And so verse 26, and when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled saying, it's a ghost. And they cried out, for fear. They thought they were seeing things. They thought our minds are playing tricks on us. It, it looks like Jesus walking on the water. It must be a ghost. And they cried out for fear, you know, clutching each other, screaming on the boat now, like the cowardly lion. I do believe in spooks. I do believe in spooks. I do, I do, I do, I do. But watch what happens now. Watch what happens. Verse 27, Jesus says, be of good cheer. 
It is I. Do not be afraid. Now listen, note takers, note takers. Job chapter 9, verse 8. Job chapter 9, verse 8 says, The Lord alone, the Lord, the Lord alone treads upon the waves of the sea. The Lord alone treads upon the waves of the sea. Only God can do that. Jesus comes to his disciples treading upon the waves of the sea. Then he says to them, be of good cheer. It is I. Now you might have a note in the margin of your Bible that tells you Jesus literally said, be of good cheer. I am. That's the Old Testament name for God. He's declaring to them here by treading upon the waves, something God alone can do. And then he declares, be of good cheer. I am. In the midst of their storm, the disciples are given a deeper revelation of Jesus Christ. We all go through storms in life. We all go through trials and difficulties. And it's in the storms of life. It's in those trials that Jesus comes to us and we receive a deeper revelation of Jesus Christ. A deeper understanding of who he is, his deity, his power, his presence. And that comes in the storm. You can only learn that Jesus walks above the waves in the storm. And to have him come in the storm and say, be of good cheer. I am. I'm God. And I'm here. Look at verse 28. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you. On the water. And so he said come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat. He walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind was boisterous. He was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried out saying Lord save me. Now Peter gets criticized for this. But the goal of a disciple. Is to be like Jesus. First John chapter 2 verse 6. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as Jesus walked. Jesus walked on water. So Peter wanted to walk on water like like Jesus. I commend Peter for this. And by the way, Peter was the only one willing to even get out of the boat and try. He was the only one who showed any courage or faith. When Peter asked Jesus, command me to come to you on the water, Jesus said, come, come. He didn't say, Peter, you can't. He said, come. And God's commandments are God's enablements. God will never command us to do something that he doesn't also enable us to do it. And initially, Peter walked on the water like Jesus. But what happened? Peter took his eyes off of Jesus. And he focused on the wind and the waves. And he became afraid. And he began to sink. I think the lesson is obvious. When you're going through a storm, keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus. If we get our eyes off of Jesus and begin to focus on the wind and the waves and the difficulty of the circumstances we're in, how impossible this is, we'll become afraid. We'll feel overwhelmed. And we'll begin to sink. And when Peter began to sink, he cried out saying, Lord, save me. This is the shortest prayer in the Bible. Lord, save me. You know what the longest prayer in the Bible is? Neither do I. I don't know. No. But we we don't need a long-winded prayer when a short prayer will do. Peter gets right to the point with his prayer here. When Peter realized he was in trouble, he cried out to Jesus, save me. When you're in trouble, 
when you're overwhelmed by circumstances in life and you feel like you're about to drown, cry out to Jesus and he'll rescue you. This is what he does. He rescues people. He snatches them out. Psalm 46, he's a very present help in our time of trouble. And you don't need a long-winded prayer. Just, Lord, save me. I'm drowning. Save me. Look at verse 31. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him. As he's going down, he caught him. And said to him, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Then those who were in the boat came and worshipped him. Saying, truly, you are the son of God. The disciples realized Jesus is the son of God and they worshipped him. This storm that they just went through gave them a greater revelation of Jesus and it caused them to worship him. And this is like the dichotomy of storms and difficulties and trials that we go through in life. We, we go through the difficulty and it's, and it's difficult. That's why they call it difficulties. They're difficult. But then at the same time, we, we grow in a deeper understanding of who Jesus is because of that difficulty. We have this greater revelation of Jesus because of the storm. And we can't get it anywhere else. So verse 34, when they had crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret. Now at this point, it's the next morning. It's the start of a new day. Remember the feeding was dinner the night before. And Jesus is still going here. Remember, Jesus did everything in the power of the Spirit. The same Holy Spirit that empowers you. And so now, verse 35, And when the men of that place recognized him, they sent out into all the surrounding region and brought to him all who were sick. Man, it's like starting over, right? In a new day, whole new set of needs here. And they begged him, That they might only touch, notice, touch the hem of his garment. And as many as touched it were made perfectly well. If you remember the woman with the issue of blood back in chapter 9. She came into the crowd and she just wanted to touch the hem of his garment. And I mentioned at that time in chapter 9. That Jewish men, they wore tassels on the corners of their garment. Then those tassels represented the law. And it was symbolic of walking in the law. And those tassels were called the wings of the garment. The wings of the garment. And the people here in this crowd, they want to touch the hem of Jesus' garment. They want to touch those tassels, those wings. Because the prophecy in Malachi chapter 4 verse 2 says the Messiah will have healing in his wings. And they know that Jesus is the Messiah. And they take the word of God very literally. And so they they touched the hem of his garment. They they touched the wings of his garment because the Bible says there's healing in his wings. So I mean, I I just got to touch the... That's taking it pretty literally. But look what it says. And as many as touched it were made perfectly well. Not mostly well. Perfectly well. Quite a day of ministry for Jesus. 
been listening to Ring of Truth with Pastor Dan Sexton. Currently, Pastor Dan is teaching through the book of Matthew, chapter by chapter and verse by verse. This is a book that may cause you to be curious about the history before and also what comes after. If you're wondering about something you heard today, would you give us a call? Our number is 410-491-4592. We'd be happy to talk with you about anything you heard today or to hear about how these messages are impacting your life. We'd also love to know about any prayer requests you might have. Once again, that number is 410-491-4592. Would you be willing to pray for the ministry of Ring of Truth? So many listeners may be hearing life-giving scripture they might not hear elsewhere. What an opportunity to reach people who are lost and without hope in the world. We'd be grateful for your prayers as the word is going out through these messages. If you'd like some specifics, we'd ask that you pray that lives would be changed and that God's kingdom would have more and more souls join him because of the truth of his word. Thanks so much for listening today and for praying. If you'd like to hear more messages like this one, we encourage you to go to calvaryec.com. Next time, Pastor Dan will continue on in the book of Matthew right here on Ring of Truth. I see the signs and I recognize the hands that craft and what I know because I know His voice and it only takes Rings true.